Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Northwest Fest, Canada's longest-running non-fiction film festival. Northwest Fest can't happen in a movie theater this year, but the show must go on, and it will. Tickets are currently available for all the films showing, including Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, The Reckoning of a Closeted Horror Film Actor, and Artificial, a look at the controversy of open-water fishing farming. All films are geo-locked for viewing in Alberta only, so you do have to live here to see them. Buy your tickets today at northwestfest.com. Remember, the festival ends May 17th, so don't delay. Again, it's northwestfest.ca. Welcome to day 8 million of COVID-19. If anything, this podcast will be um, a little time capsule (laughs) uh, for those listening back. The things we did when self-isolating. I mean, to be fair, we were doing this before we were self-isolating. I know. And we can continue to do it because we're isolating together. Yeah. I mean, well, we would have found a way to do it remotely. Yeah, probably. But You do the other podcast remotely. Yeah, but we are cohabitating, so we can do it. Yeah, it's a little easier. Yeah. I can still look at your face. It's true. Our audience can't. They never could, though. Because we are a podcast. They never could. So it's it's not different for them. It's the same. Fair enough. Sorry, I have nothing else to say. (laughs) All right. Well, on that awkward note, uh, we will do a brief recap of Chapter 9 of our novel. Yes, let's. uh, In which Beth decided to drag Xana out to go to a school to... Uh, That is a quote-unquote drag. Yeah. I don't think Xana fought very hard. No. Uh, In order to do some snooping into Jeanette Cater's children. So they check out a (laughs) private school. They... uh, come up with a plausible story to try to passively gain some information yep. uh, and talk to a strangely named secretary. I like the name Lou Monday. Who then accidentally let slip that the Cater's kids are in fact named Thomas and Emily. Yeah. Which and is that very Jeanette strange. Cater is in fact Flora and not the quote unquote fake Jeanette that Beth met, well, at least I think. Well, she doesn't straight up say that it's Flourish, but she definitely suggests that the other Jeanette is not the real Jeanette. Right. Um, And that's enough to get Beth to try to convince Lou to give her a call later to talk privately. Which she may or may not do. Indeed. We're not at the end of the day yet. Yeah. And uh, also to change her plans and not immediately go home, which is more or less what segues us into Chapter 10 of Perfect Little Children by Sophie Hanna. So indeed, rather than go home, Beth and Santa return to Whittier Lane. Yes. As per the change of plans. <laughs> of course. Uh, this time, Beth parks a little ways down the road so that hopefully she won't get noticed by nosy neighbor Marilyn Oxley or the Caters or possibly Flora, question mark? D- it depends. Is Flora included in the Caters? Well, she must group? be at this point. Certainly in Beth's inner monologue, as you alluded to in the recap, yeah. uh, she started to think of the other Jeanette as fake Jeanette. Yeah, fake Jeanette. Yeah. Because she doesn't believe her name is really Jeanette. And there's the Jeanette-Flora connection that I don't quite understand. I'm I'm sure this will all come to light later. 
at the moment, it's just a big bamboozle in my brain. Indeed, and certainly a bamboozle in Beth's brain, which is why she's still so laser-focused on all this. Oh, goodness, yes. Uh, so much so that when Xana asks for a car, Beth counters that she will buy her driving lessons if and when she passes her tests. Yes, and tomorrow, when their very important thing is done today... Yes, when the thing she's laser-focused yeah, on. Yeah, right back to studying. That's but right, right now, we have to work on this because it's my obsession. Yeah. So, Beth's plan is, without Dom here to rein her in, like was the situation... <laughs> Yes. The previous time they came to Whittier Lane, she's going to interrogate as many other neighbors as possible before either Oxley or the caters catch her. Mm -hmm. And I think she's brought Zana along to... Uh... To be her cheerleader, basically. Yeah, that, that's an excellent way of putting it. She's, yes. she's brought along the one family member who's going to egg her on because she wants someone there to tell her she's right. Yeah, as opposed to talk her down, which is what her husband would do. And indeed will try to do oh, later absolutely. on. Oh, absolutely. Zana asks if she's going to be sticking around in the car or if she can come knocking doors. And Beth is like, yeah, of course you're coming along. And then for the first time, notices the slightly censored profanity on her t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, A-plus parenting there, Beth. Yeah, she's been with her all morning. Yep. In a car. Yeah, they were they were at an elementary school. They drove for two hours to get to that elementary school. Yep, and she's just now noticing what her daughter's wearing. Yeah. Maybe get some more sleep, Beth. Yeah. You wouldn't be missing... Obvious details. <laughs> I have a feeling that most of our advice to Beth is going to be, please get some sleep. Yes, please, please get some sleep, Beth. Beth tells Anna, zip up your jacket, and then we're going to go and start knocking on doors. Her suggestion is we're just going to go door to door, and Zana immediately is like, no. Shut, <laughs> no, Mom, shut you're it doing down. it wrong, Mom. We need to scope out a specific type of house. The people who don't fit in. Yeah, you don't want to get... A door slammed in your face, you got to find the right people. You also don't want to find another Marilyn Ox. Absolutely. What you need is you need to look for a house that isn't buttoned up like the rest of the neighborhood, that has residents living in it who might not care about spilling the tea about their neighbors. Exactly. And Beth is like, okay, that makes sense, and points over at number three. Mm -hmm. It's like, look, that house doesn't stand out to the, uh, to the standard of Whittier Lane. Okay, Beth points this out a little later. Mm -hmm. um, after this whole event happens. But she's she's right when she points out that Xana is very good at this. Yes. She's actually very clever in mm -hmm. her uh, choice of houses that they should visit. Yeah, she does. She almost kind of does a little Sherlock scan of the house. Yeah, kind of. And like picks up on little clues that suggest that the owners are a little more loosey-goosey than the other well-to-do snobby people in the neighborhood. And Xana... Having done that agrees, yeah, no, you, you picked a good house. Number three certainly looks like it's a good place to start. So they head on up to number three. And just as Beth is like, all right, you might want to, you know, buckle in for a little wait here. Because if somebody's in this house, they're probably going to be a while coming to the door. And basically, no sooner has she said that than the door flies open. <laughs> and they are greeted by a really kind of hippy-dippy woman. Kind uh, of. Who we will soon learn is named Tilly. Who asks them, first thing, say something nice. Yes. Uh, within a paragraph or two, we I have determined, anyway, that Tilly is the exact opposite of Marilyn Oxley. Pretty much. Exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Those are two neighbors who probably do not get along. Oh, I can guarantee they do not. So Beth uh, comes up with the first compliment off the top of her head. And the reason that she picks... 
Tilly's Nautilus pendant is because it's one of the first things that jumped out at her. Yeah, it's kind of an obvious, kind yeah. of in-your-face, out-front sort of thing. And so she says, nice pendant. And the woman is very happy with her saying so, though admits she wasn't specifically fishing for compliments. I also noted that the pendant is partly made of ammonite and was like, Nita will be pleased by that. I was pleased by that. I own a piece of, uh, well, it's ammolite is what I own, which is made from ammonite. Yes. And it's a very fancy gemstone something something and fossil basically yeah. and scott bought me uh some my amylite on our honeymoon yeah well our mini moon and i bought him an amylite fossil on the same mini moon yeah so and we those both... were our presents to each other and it was really sweet and they're very scintillating and and pretty so very colorful so, and so i the, like it a lot the fact it came up uh i thought was amusing and knew that anita would would quite enjoy that. I did. I had a little smile. I was like, oh, I know what that means, and it's very nice. Beth has a a thought here that kind of came across as a little gross to me. What's that? When she's first talking with uh, Tilly, and it jumped out at me, where she talks about trying to present herself as someone who Tilly could like. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's really kind of a, a cold and manipulative thing to think. And then I was like, oh, but I mean... Beth has congratulated herself on manipulating her husband already in this book. So why would she think twice about manipulating a stranger? Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I noted that too. I didn't think it was as sinister as you do. But yeah, it, it's really obvious that Beth is presenting herself as the kind of person that Tilly would totally get along with. Yeah. And I'm willing to bet that they would not get along, actually, apart from this. Eh, maybe. They certainly have something to bond over. Tilly doesn't seem like a Beth person. Which is why Beth is sort of faking it to be a Tilly person. Fair enough. But, uh, well, you know, on the other hand, I don't think that Beth isn't a Tilly person. Well, fair enough. Tilly doesn't like Maybe rub Tilly her... likes everybody. Yeah, well, Tilly doesn't rub her the wrong way. It's just that Beth is trying to use Tilly and yes. immediately starts manipulating her. Mm-hmm. Which works. Yeah. Because Tilly gives her exactly what she wants and then some. Indeed. Uh, Tilly does invite them in after getting assurances that they are not serial killers, politicians, or serial killing politicians. <laughs> and lets them know that very coincidentally, she decided this very day to answer her doorbell, just as they rang, when she has in fact been spending months ignoring it during the day. Which is kind of weird. And also serendipitous and lucky for Beth, I guess? So there's a little chapter break at the end of the encounter with Tilly. And the note I wrote to myself was, I wonder if Beth believes everything that Tilly has told her? Or does she think that Tilly is, like, planted there and, and like, part of the conspiracy? Just because of the way Tilly was so willing to talk mm-hmm. and had such interesting things to say. Mm-hmm. I genuinely... You, At that point you in the chapter. You and the reader got suspicious. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if Beth is going to believe her. Here's here's the thing. Beth does believe her. Like, yes. that much is clear no, by we, the end of this yeah. chapter. Beth definitely believes Tilly. I was also suspicious. Aha! Not is alone. That, is that strange to say? No, because I think it's written that way. Like, Tilly comes across as very likable, but at the same time, she's 
so open and friendly with Beth and Xana right off the jump. She's so willing to talk about the braids. She's so willing to kind of corroborate Beth's story and accept Beth's story. Mm-hmm. And she's absolutely forthcoming with all of the juicy details. Yeah, and and she coincidentally decided to answer her door today. Exactly. And what the, like so fast that she was practically waiting at the door for someone to ring the doorbell. Right. Like it all seemed too convenient. Right? To the point where I, I, the reader, was like, that's kind of suspicious. But of course, because it's all corroborating what Beth wants to believe, she laps it up. Mm-hmm. In in a way that she accuses Dom of having lapped up the Cater's story later in this chapter. Right, because she doesn't believe that one. Yeah. So of course it's suspicious. And she is like, poor trusting Dom believes everything he's told <laughs> when she does exactly the same thing with Tilly. Yep, but it's because Tilly's telling her what she wants to hear. Yeah. Whereas the caters were telling Dom what he wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's a, case, a case of Beth twisting everything into her narrative. Yeah. Right? So now Beth believes, but do I? Do you? Yeah. No, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting thing because at first we were led to uh, not necessarily trust what Beth was seeing. And now we're not necessarily trusting what Beth is being presented with. <laughs> so it's a weird kind of mental shift. But we're, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves Sorry. too here. Yes. Let's go back. Um. Tilly does apologize for kind of blathering on and on, but Beth is very accepting of it because she intends to blather about Witty Elaine. And Tilly's like, oh, well, sure. What what do you want to talk about? And Beth is like, well, I want to talk about number 16. And Tilly replies, oh, you're here about the caters or you hear about the braids. And then she practically falls over herself to talk about Lewis Braid. Right. Tilly offers them some drinks. Beth gives the gives a kind of like the truncated version of her story. I assume yeah. that she maybe leaves out some of the weirder aspects probably um until he admits that it is peculiar but adds in her experience lewis braid was kind of peculiar uh and apparently when they lived on Whittier lane lewis was a very sociable guy everyone knew him the kids were around but nobody ever saw flora okay and that only half fits with the information that we've been given about the braids right it doesn't strike me weird to hear his neighbor telling us that he's a super friendly guy yeah right very sociable always went to the parties it's very in character for lewis but never seeing flora doesn't really track right it doesn't because beth has never mentioned that before yeah that flora wasn't very outgoing and didn't have many friends and didn't go out and didn't do things well we know for a fact that flora had friends because beth and dom were their friends but you know what i mean they went but they went traveling with them they went and did stuff with them beth has recollections of going and doing things with flora right yeah there was never any oh flora doesn't have many friends and she doesn't go out a lot blah blah blah. there was none of that this feels out of left field but here on Whittier lane what tilly is saying is that flora never visited anyone and no one was ever invited over to the house and people did eventually start to whisper that maybe flora was a hermit or a shut-in maybe and apparently it did stand out because not hosting neighbors is just not the done thing at Whittier lane uh, but Lewis got away with it because, number one, Lewis always gets away with things. And number two, because he's the reason he gets away with things because he's so sociable. Oh, yeah. Like, he's always schmoozing. And he spent a lot of that time schmoozing, talking up Flora. And Beth reads that as, oh, it was to allay suspicion about Flora's absence. By talking about her all the time, it made it feel like she was part of the community, even though she was never there. Yeah, even though she wasn't there yeah. physically. Tilly then admits that maybe she's being a little unfair calling Lewis the odd one in the relationship because Flora was the one who was acting odd by not ever being around. 
And Lewis maybe just came across as weird by trying to cover with her. But then she does admit that later on he did something that was pretty weird. Oh, yeah. Then the penny drops. And Xana, who at this point has snuck in a second alcoholic beverage, is like, lady, don't leave us hanging. Tell us the story. Tilly swears them to secrecy and then tells <laughs> them. complete strangers in her kitchen. Yeah. And then tells them Lewis Braid had stalked her. And that's when we smash cut yeah, to the service cut. station. Smash cut away, chapter break. Or sorry, uh, it's not a chapter break. This is a transition. There we go. And at the service station, Dom is on the phone, and he is straight up not believing that Lewis Braid would have stalked Tilly. And the interesting thing here is he doesn't disbelieve it because it's not in Lewis's character to have stalked a woman, but because Tilly, as described, is not his type of woman. Yeah, he would never have stalked her. He'd have stalked someone else. Exactly. Which is like, um, eh, Lewis oh, Braid. Yeah, yeah. This Lewis Braid is a real piece of work. Yeah. Uh, Beth and Xana on speakerphone uh, do confirm that they kind of felt the same. And then they go in to relate the chain of events. But Nita's Ugh. smiling like she has a comment about the speakerphone. It's, uh, how does Beth not know about speakerphone? Xana's like, put him on speakerphone so I can talk. And then you can tell that Beth just looks at her quizzically because she doesn't understand the fancy gadget in her hand. Well, Beth is... And Xana's like, oh, never mind. You don't know what that means. I'll do it. Beth is famously a 40-year-old, 90-year-old. <laughs> and... Like, it's already been described that she's using a broken, outdated phone that she can't be bothered to replace. She only ever had a Facebook account, and that was probably only because of her massage business. I know. She's kind of a Luddite. I know. A speakerphone has been around for a really long time, though. And yet, we are dealing with a woman who has trouble keeping up with the times, who is still stuck back in the days when she was a party girl with Lewis and Flora. Kate. I am roughly Beth's age, my guess is, because mm -hmm. I am 40. Mm -hmm. We had speakerphone when I was a kid. It's not that advanced. Well, but <laughs> activating it on your cell phone. Uh, still. It's still not that complicated. It just it was sort of strange that I'm like, really? She doesn't know how speakerphone works? Well, anyway. now on speaker, uh, Beth and Xana relate the whole story that they were told by Tilly. Apparently, Lewis helped Tilly set up her home business. And Lewis is the kind of guy who goes all in on a project. Yeah, even Dom says that's a very Lewis thing to do. Yeah. Uh, Lewis comes across as the kind of guy who sees a failure by his friends as kind of reflecting on him. Yeah. All failure is bad failure, whether it's his or not. Well, it's not just that. Like, because he's such, he, he's a guy who's so obsessed with having the perfect life. The idea that one of his friends could fail, the the stink of failure gets on him. Yeah. So he can't let his friends fail because then he looks like a failure by proxy. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a weird driving force, but I kind of get it. Lewis Braid doesn't track with failures. Yeah, and no, I can, but I can, I can follow his train of thought there, and it makes sense. Like it's illogical, but there are people like that. It I makes get him that. a jerk, but yeah. Apparently, even after he moved to Florida, and we're told, yeah, no, they, they totally moved to Florida, he kept turning up at their house. Like, he'd right? just show like, up from time to time. Right? So he came back way more often than... Than it would seem. Yeah. Or never left, question mark. Question mark. Um, it, at first, it seemed kind of friendly, um, but then it started to get more and more disturbing. And finally, uh, Tilly and her husband caught him sleeping in their backyard with some of Tilly's clothes. And that was the yeah, point where they were pajamas like... pajamas that he stole off the line. Yeah, and they were like, okay, this has gone too far. What is happening? You need to stop. And Lewis tearfully confessed, I've fallen in love with Tilly. And they were like, well, too no. bad. <laughs> Be gone. And he has stayed away ever since. Beth and Xana kind of pitch their hypothesis here. No, Tilly is not Lewis Braid's kind of woman, but 
maybe that's exactly why he was attracted to her. Maybe. Because the pressure of his oh-so-perfect life made it so that this woman who is super loosey-goosey and hippy-dippy, who didn't care about a few gray hairs and didn't care about being super thin, but was super friendly and outgoing, maybe... Like, that was an easy out. That was that was an easy woman to be with for a guy who's so uptight about Perfection. presenting as, yeah. per- as perfect. And that might be why he fell for her. Maybe. So they're like, it it could it could track that a laissez-faire yeah. woman like Tilly might might inadvertently seduce a guy like well, Louis Braid. Explained, explained that way, it made sense. Yeah. Dom is like, oh, maybe I like it's it's sound logic, but I'm still not sure. Beth tells Dom, well, I'm not coming home right away because I've decided, seeing as we're in the neighborhood anyway, I'm going to go and confront Flora's parents. Because yeah, changing plans again. Yeah, because if something's going on, they have to know about it, right? Lewis has been their son-in-law for 20 years. Flora is their daughter. If something is up, they must know. And Dom kind of tries to warn her off, but Beth is like, no, I need to know what's happening. And this is the point where she actually recounts the incident with Lou Monday at the school. And Dom, at this point, is kind of like, yeah, okay, that sounds kind of weird and disturbing. You're right. Yeah. And then he brings up a very salient point. Yes. Which is, okay, things have, at this juncture, gone from merely odd and mysterious to maybe something sinister is happening. Maybe. And if that's the case, if someone is going to great lengths to hide what is happening and gaslight Beth... That suggests that, A, there's a reason they want it to be kept secret, B, they're powerful enough to keep it a secret, and C, they're willing to go to great lengths to keep it a secret. And that Beth is perhaps potentially getting herself into some danger here. And more than that, she is dragging their teenage daughter along with her. Yeah. So maybe now's a good time to just step away and Beth, before things get scary. And Beth will not hear it. Of course not. And basically hangs up on Dom with the full intention to go to Flora's parents' house. Yep. And that is where chapter 10 kind of comes to a close. Yeah. There's a line at the end of the chapter, though, that kind of spoke to me. And I'm wondering if you read it the same way I did. What's happened at the very end is that... Uh, Beth has convinced Dominic that the caters that they met were lying to them, mm-hmm. right? Bunch yeah, of we, big liars. We, we touched on this earlier in the uh, in the episode yeah. as well. So here, I'm going to read this straight from the book. After more than 40 years on this planet, Dominic has trouble believing that a civilized and solvent couple with an immaculate house could lie to him. He's still keen to believe in a version of the world in which everyone has each other's best interests at heart. I don't think Beth is talking about the caters. I think Beth is talking about the braids. Yes. I think this goes back to the whole picture mystery and the whole breakup 12 years ago. The the breakup 12 years ago? Yeah. I think that's what I think Beth is alluding to. I think something I think something else happened. Well, we know something else happened and yeah. Beth has yet to give herself time to dwell on it because she's been distracting herself with this mystery mm-hmm. and lack of sleep. So she <laughs> she has not had time to dwell on it because she's purposefully avoiding it. Yeah, it's, that's that's the way I read it. She's like, yeah, no, everyone's going to lie to you. The caters lied to you. The braids lied to us. Something, something, something. Whatever that something is, I don't know yet. Yeah. I uh, hope we, God, I hope we find out. But maybe she's also protesting too much. Maybe it's less that the braids lied to Beth and that Beth lied to the braids. Oh, that's just as likely. Because uh, as we pointed out. And I would out, argue more probable. Yeah, you because know, as we pointed out in previous chapters, Beth clearly feels guilty about something. 
And from all that we've seen, maybe the breakup wasn't as two-sided as Beth originally thought it was. Mm -hmm. So maybe Beth's guilty conscience is what's talking here. Maybe. Hard to say. Probably. Probably. <laughs> you want to speculate on another wild conspiracy theory? I've stumbled onto a major company conspiracy pack. How about that for stress? What the hell are you talking about? This company is being bled like a stuck pig, Mac, and I got a paper trail to prove it. Check this out. Take a look at this. Oh, do tell, because I haven't, I haven't got a new one yet. When we were talking about how uh, weirdly eager Tilly was to spill all the tea about the braids. Right. And how she conveniently had stories that seemed to corroborate that something weird was going on with them. And how it's strange that she was, like, practically standing at the door ready to answer it when they, they came up and rang the doorbell. Um, and how both you and I got this weird sensation like Tilly wasn't authentic. Mm -hmm. um, like, Beth, Beth is eating everything up because it's all corroborating what she wants to believe. Yes. But we were both like, something mm. seems a little odd and strangely convenient about this. Um, so what if, what if Beth is in the game? <laughs> what if, what if Lewis and Flora and Dom are all in on this elaborate, elaborate prank <laughs> that has gotten wildly out of hand? This is the best theory yet. I love it. That's my wild, irresponsible conspiracy theory. If you're for this not chapter. familiar with the game, you should. It's a it's a movie. The Michael Douglas movie. It's a Michael Douglas movie. Um, I don't remember what year it's from. It's it's a little older at this point. Uh, it's it's either like '90s or or early 2000s. Yeah, in there somewhere. Uh, and it will break your brain. <laughs> and it's. It's pretty good as brain breakers go. Yeah, no, it's it's a psychological thriller. And we do not have time to explain it here. No, because Ooh. it's a psychological thriller. Yes. Uh but yeah, that that's my speculation. <laughs> that it's that Lewis Lewis is bored and has enough money that he's he that, he's just Beth messing, that he's just messing a game. that he's just messing with Beth. <laughs> that that he has bought Beth a game. I love it. That is my new theory. <laughs> that's my new favorite theory. I love it. There you go. That is that is what's going on. <laughs> So with that said, uh, maybe we'll find out if this is indeed all just a game uh, as we transition into Chapter 11 of Perfect Little Children by Sophie Hanna. I want to read up on that in time for next week. In the meantime, you know, you, you were just mentioning that Lewis Braid has a lot of money. And um, people often like to invest the money that they have, not just in messing with their friends in a deeply troubling way, but also in... <laughs> in helping their communities out. And uh, one of the ways that people can do that is through the Edmonton Community Foundation, which is an organization that takes money and turns it into endowment funds to help support the community. And you don't even need to be super rich to do it. And uh, a great way to learn more about what the Edmonton Community Foundation does is through their podcast. The Well-Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonking and produced by Lisa Pruden, it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. Subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Yeah, Well Endowed Podcast. 
Another smooth Scott segue right there. Uh, the Edmonton Community Foundation is, of course, one of the many supporters of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Uh, you can check out all of the other podcasts that are part of the network right yeah. now. You can... you can go to albertapodcastnetwork.com or you can go to the CKUA app if you want to explore that way. Yeah. They're all generously hosted there. Mm-hmm. And if you find one you like, um, it is most likely available on any podcatcher of your choice. Yeah, while well, you're at that podcatcher, you know what? Maybe stop by and give us a little rating and a review. We would certainly appreciate it. It yeah. helps our visibility. We like feedback. And uh, yeah, we do like to hear what you have to say. If you'd like to tell us what you think and, and you do want to get your say in, you can reach us very easily on social media. Indeed. We have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we are in Goodreads. Yeah. You can also send us a lengthier message if you need. Yes, we have an email address, thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we'll see you next time. Oh, they should have called it a Zan scan. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.